Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday. Welcome to the TLR Roundtable. You've got me, Jamie, Craig joining me. Obviously, we're missing a key part of the show here, and Garrett, he's off taking care of some some personal stuff, so hopefully he'll be all right, and he'll be back. Um, he'll be back good to go on Sunday, I'm sure. Uh, but in the meantime, we've got a big show scheduled for you guys. We've got our normal mailbag show here. We've got some discord questions we've got some twitter questions we've got the always fun bad tweet section so we're going to get going on that but before we do that i thought it'd be a good idea to talk about really the topic of the day which is jc jackson we've all been kind of wondering about it all week um you know he got as for those of you who don't recall he was deactivated last week without really an explanation other than brandon staley saying this is what gives us the best chance to win right now 
Um, then the news broke on Monday about him, about his legal issues with the outstanding warrant in Massachusetts. And today news broke that he's saying he doesn't understand why he was benched. So thought it was a good thing for us to delve into. So Craig, why don't you give us your thoughts? What are you thinking right now about, about JC Jackson, why he was benched and, and all this mess, what's going on? Well, what I will say first and foremost is um, I did mention last week that I thought it was awkward that he was benched in the first place. Oh, I'm sorry, a healthy scratch because of the three starters, he was the only one that didn't bust a play um, in week two. And uh, he actually performed fairly well, at least average. So wasn't necessarily getting the correlation between his play and the fact that he was set. And then to have his legal issues come out shortly thereafter, it felt too much like a coincidence. The timing's too close together. It feels like something has to be linked there. But then for him to come out and speak about this publicly, first and foremost, it's not a good look overall. Um, you know, ultimately things like this, the Chargers would like to keep in house, I would imagine. But I mean, he seems to be feeling some level of conf um, confusion associated with being sat down. And this doesn't bode well for the heat that's already on Staley. And this was Staley's guy. He, he was handpicked. So um, for this to be the case and, uh, you know, for him to have been sat as a healthy scratch and then kind of unsure about, you know, what's going to happen moving forward. And then Staley's comments, I believe, saying, you know, it's kind of a week to week thing and you're earning it. Um, I think maybe people read too much into it, alluding to possibly his work ethic. I didn't take that away from it because we saw his work ethic and coming back onto the field this offseason. But uh, as soon as he did from that catastrophic injury, should I say. But I mean, honestly, overall, if Staley doesn't get a handle on this, it could get ugly in a hurry. And that's the last thing you need is a one and two team still trying to find your bearings. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that are kind of confusing about this and also in addition to being confusing, it kind of kind of feels like Staley's losing credibility in the way this is being handled. And it's a little frustrating. Uh, and there are a couple points here. Last week we had Michael Davis come out and say that he was he felt like he was struggling playing well because he was being rotated in and out with JC. Then last week, JC is the healthy scratch. Mike didn't play well. Um, we we get the news on Monday about JC's legal issues. We have, you know, kind of vague references to JC's work ethic, to how he's practicing, to how he's playing. Uh, but we're watching Michael Davis miss jams at the line of scrimmage, get beat left and right. He's having a really hard time keeping up with pretty much anybody right now. Um, so are we going to hold Michael Davis accountable too? Are we looking at having Dean Leonard start a corner this this week? because both of them are going to be inactive because neither one of them are playing well. Um, that's kind of a, a, an oddity for me. It just, it seems uneven to see Michael Davis out there and basically be handed reps after complaining about being, you know, rotated in and out and saying that he can't get into a rhythm. Um, and now JC getting benched. So what's, what's the answer here? Is Mike going to get benched and JC's going to go back in and they're just going to kind of feed these guys egos by handing them reps instead of making them earn more reps. You know, I'm not really sure what's going on there. And then in terms of JC, you know, it's just, it's confusing. It's, it doesn't sound like the team explained to him why he was a healthy scratch last week. Um, just based on what he said uh, in, a, in a, an article that came out on NFL.com today, it just really sounds like they didn't really explain much of anything to him, or at the very least, it wasn't clear if he doesn't entirely disagree with what they told him. So he sounds like he doesn't really know what's going on, which kind of speaks to Staley's credibility right now because 
if you've got an $80 million corner on the roster who's getting, who's a healthy scratch and he can't tell you why, and he feels like he's being treated unfairly after fighting back from the torn patella and the dislocated knee and all the issues that he had, um, all the health issues that he had coming back early. And he's even saying, Hey, what more do you want from me? You know, yeah. I back come back from this injury and here I am, I'm back. And two games in you're, you're making me a healthy scratch and not explaining it to me that that's kind of a bad look. So are we throwing things against the wall to see what sticks? Are we just appeasing Michael Davis's ego by putting JC on the bench? I, I don't know what's going on, but none of it really makes a lot of sense. And it's getting to the point where I'm having a hard time believing Staley because he's giving kind of vague, you know, ambiguous answers to pretty much any question he's being asked. And nothing seems very clear right now, particularly with this, this issue. So it's one of those things that I think can really eat at a locker room. Potentially. I'm not saying he's lost the locker room. I'm not going there. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know that. But when you have one of the star players saying, Hey, I'm one of the best players on this team and I can't get on the field. What's going on. Um, it certainly raises some questions, raises an eyebrow at the very least. For sure. Um, and if this is performance based, then as you alluded to, uh, then that, should speak volumes about what happens with uh, Michael Davis this week because his play last week doesn't warrant a start this week. And I have a very high feeling that he will absolutely start. We'll see. I mean, that's yet to be determined. But also, I mean, you mentioned Dean Leonard. He popped up on the injury report today with a hamstring situation. So, uh, you know, just kind of adding to the uh, more fuel to the fire here in a situation that's already questionable. And then even in Staley's pressers, I've noticed lately he's become a lot more, I wouldn't necessarily say curt, but um, he's much more short and precise with his answers. He doesn't give out nearly as much information as he used to. And it seems like he's trying to rein things in. It could be that he's feeling a little bit of the heat, but also it just looks like his philosophy on uh, the amount of information that he's willing to share publicly has uh, actually gone in the opposite direction. So interested to see how things move along from here and with this game coming up. Um, you know, we'll get questions answered on Sunday. Certain ones we'll be able to see with our own eyes. But this, uh, you know, this whole situation with JC, unless, again, they put a cap on this and figure out a way to get these guys where they need to be functioning properly um, and in some sort of rhythm. I mean, because it's just like anything else, a cornerback position, you have to be out there taking reps in order to get into the floor of the game. Uh, we'll see how they manage that. And uh, it could get to be a real problem in a hurry and almost feels like, Initially, we were complaining about this bye week being as early as it was. Well, it might be necessary at this point. Yeah, you know, with Dean Leonard popping up with the hamstring now and Davis not playing particularly well and Jackson's um, status kind of up in the air, now you're looking at a, a, five, a group of five corners that looks pretty thin all of a sudden, and you're kind of looking at it thinking, man, it'd be nice to have Cam Brown right now <laughs> uh, as well as he played in training camp. So... A uh, lot of interesting things going on at the corner position. And, you know, like I said, I'm having a hard time buying into what Staley's saying right now. Um, and maybe I'm, you know, I could be overreacting. I don't have all the information. And we'll freely admit we don't have all the information on this because they're not sharing much information. But um, it's. And, and, and you're also going to be down your top two safeties. 
as, yep. as things currently stand. Um, although he hasn't practiced yet this week and it's not looking great. So uh, secondary could potentially be in shambles in the game that they absolutely have to have going into the bye. Yeah. We'll see how things develop, but it's definitely, it's a, it's a little tenuous right now in the secondary yeah. with the top two safeties out and Davis not playing well and JC up in the air. Um, so we'll see how things go. So let's go ahead and get into Discord. Discord questions to start. So we'll yeah. start with the first question from Discord. And Craig, you can go ahead and read the question. Sure. All right. This one comes from Charger Berries. Appreciate the question. What changes in play style need to be made in the cornerback room to regain confidence in their week-to-week performance? I feel sort of lost trying to establish an expectation from the top four guys, Asante Davis, Taylor, JC, because they've been, sorry, they've been so hit and miss. What do they individually slash as a group excel at and how would you go about optimizing their playing time? What do you say, Jane? So right now I would say just watching the film and just even watching the game live, it's pretty clear to me, you know, ASJ is the best corner on the team, the most consistent um, I think he's probably best suited to playing zone, but he's also fared very well in man coverage. And it seems like his anticipation and ball skills are starting to ascend and take that next step forward. So I think Asante is probably the most versatile and most skilled guy right now. And he's the most reliable guy right now. Um, Davis, if you'd asked me this before the season started, I would have said Davis excels in press man. I've never particularly liked him as a zone corner. Um, but he's really struggled in man right now. He looks slow. He's missing his jams. He's not nearly as physical or sticky as he was last year. You know, for years it was, he's in phase, he's in position, but he's not getting his head around. Now he's not in phase. He's not in position. He's not getting his head around. He's not jamming anybody. He's not really executing much of anything the way you would expect him to. Um, Taylor, Taylor's not, you know, what you would call explosively fast. I think he's really best in short zones playing in the slot. I don't think you want him manned up on guys. We've seen some glimpses of him playing man against some pretty good receivers in the first three weeks of the season. And it seems like he's always a couple steps behind. So I don't think you want him in that role in terms of JC, you know, he's, he excelled in zone coverage. Um, when he played in new England, he's looked confused in zone coverage for the chargers so far. Uh, and he has not looked very good in man coverage either at times. So it's hard to say what he's good at right now. And I don't know that we necessarily have a hundred percent of JC to be able to evaluate to begin with. So uh, I'd say that's what those guys do. Well, if you were going to, if you were going to say, what does JC do? Well, he, he's probably better off playing zone um, more often than not. And how would you go about optimizing their skills? I mean, right now it's hard to say because none of them are playing very well outside of, outside of Asante, but I think particularly with the issues in zone right with the issues at safety right now, they probably need to play a lot more zone and try to keep guys in front of them. I don't know that they can really rely on this, this cornerback room as a group to play a lot of man to, to win their jams and to disrupt routes. I just, it's just not something that they're doing very well right now as a group. You can do it with, with Samuel to an extent, but even, even him, he's going to have struggles with larger receivers at times. Yeah, well, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth with most most of this. But um, as far as just the combination of guys go, historically, 
JC's been more of a man press guy, but you know, coming back from the injury that he sustained, uh, it's probably not the best way to utilize him right now until you know he gets back well as close to possibly being the old JC Jackson as possible if he can ever get there. Um, he wasn't asked to play a ton of zone in New England, but um, it's not that he's not capable of it, it's just not what he was accustomed to doing. Asante, again originally probably best suited in zone. And I still think like you, he's a better zone guy than he is man, even though he has improved in his man technique, um, mostly in zone because of his ability to close on balls um, in short areas. Uh, if he can see it, he can get to it. Um, you know, he's a super quick first step, very little wasted movement. Um, the problem with man is yes, he can get bodied up by bigger receivers. So even if he has decent coverage, he can just, you know, be out muscled. Uh, Michael Davis is not having the type of year we envisioned. Um, uh, ideally, he's a press man guy. You want to put him on the bigger receivers or if you want to have a quote unquote uh, more physical outside presence, he would be the guy to do it. Um, you can even put him on tight ends. It's you know kind of what made him special last year. And we're not seeing very much of that this season at all. And um, as far as Jasir is concerned, definitely a sly guy. I don't like what I see from him on the outside. Um, he's another guy that I think is best suited um, to see the ball in front of him, keep it in front of him uh, pretty much as much as you can instead of having him run in phase with guys with his back to the ball. Uh, you know, probably at this point, a better tackler on the inside than um, ASJ is. But outside of that, uh, I guess ideally what you would want to do in a perfect world is kind of mix and match what they're best at and maybe utilize it on different sides of the field. Say, for instance, uh, kind of mix match coverage where uh, to uh, the boundary, you might play a little bit of man with the sideline as a second defender. And to the field, you could play zone and play zone in the middle of the field as well. So almost sort of cover six-ish, except for with the corner on the um, towards the boundary playing more man. So ideally that would work if everyone was playing up to their abilities. But just like you mentioned at this point right now, to keep things simple, number one, they still don't have the defense down as currently constructed. So that's already a problem. You don't want to make things any more complicated than they have to be. But, um, you know, zone is probably the safest thing for them to do because they still do have athletes out there. And I think for the time being, everyone keeping the ball in front of them and, uh, you know, defending their various zones, getting proper depth. And just uh, if you got to play, you know, Ben don't break, then great. But uh, I don't think you can get very fancy. It wasn't a good idea to start the season. And with all of the guys that they have down in the secondary right now, uh, I wouldn't go that route either. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, there's part of me that almost wants to see Davis on tight ends right now. Um, but you can't really do that because then you've got to put Taylor outside if JC isn't active. So until we get some clarity on where, where JC is physically and in terms of just being back up to speed, because like you said earlier, you know, it's like any position you have to have reps. And especially when you're coming back from an injury, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a hundred percent physically and be medically cleared to play. It's something else entirely to be fully up to game speed and trust your body after what JC went through last year. So, yeah. and there's no way he can be there right now. He, you know, he didn't play in the preseason. He was getting, you know, kind of rests and breaks during the, during training camp, which isn't going to get you get full game speed reps anyway. Um, and he's, he's kind of being rotated in and out probably to keep him fresh um, and just give him a break, a mental break and a physical break. Uh, when he is on the field. So he, there's no way you can expect him to be 100% right now. 
And if that was the expectation going in, then that's an issue with the coaching staff and with the front office. That's not an issue with JC. And that, that almost feels like, you know, you're pointing fingers at everybody but yourself at that point. So maybe if JC gets back, he gets back on the field and he's healthy and he's up to speed. Maybe then you can start talking about mixing and matching with Davis and matching him up against some of the bigger tight ends and letting him run with those guys. Um, but right now, especially if JC isn't available, Davis has to be outside. you got to have Asante and Davis outside. You just don't have a choice. Um, especially if Leonard isn't healthy, you just don't yeah. have anybody who can play outside. So good question, Chargers Berries. Thank you. Um, next question. All right. So I'm going to never had to say your name out loud. So this is going to be a chore. <laughs> Zabo Attila. If I got that wrong, correct me in the discord. We'll figure it out later. <clears throat> I know you all said in after hours yesterday. So our last week's show that they don't have a plan for QJ, but would you think that they kind of have a plan and maybe it's more of the lack of trust from Herbert? I mean, even Palmer was rarely targeted by Herb last year until he had nobody else left. And we saw multiple times when QJ ran basically open, but those became wind sprints because Herbert rather targeted IE Allen. Oh, thank you, McKeenan. Um, I think Herbert is kind of a QB who needs more time to get comfortable with new, uh, I think this is blocked. Hold on, sorry. That's with blocked. new wide receivers. Wide receiver. Okay, I can't see it. It's blocked on my computer for whatever reason. Um, okay, so I'm not going to veer away from the fact that I still don't think they really had a plan for Quentin Johnston. And the reason why I'm going to say this is because um, we saw early in games for um, the last two weeks that they would get involved, involved in like the first drive. They would literally scheme up plays for him. So it was almost like, okay, kid, we're going to get you warmed up. But then after that, He's essentially Casper the Ghost for the rest of the game. Um, with regard to what they originally planned on, which is working him into the offense, well, yeah, you know, he's kind of going to have to speed up that learning curve and you know, become more of a contributor now because of the injury to Mike Williams. But uh, there is a level of comfortability that has to grow between uh, he and Herbert. I'm sure that the drops, you know, in uh, preseason and in camp, probably maybe makes Herbert a little reluctant to get him the ball. And I mean, when you have a safety blanket in Keenan Allen, I mean, you know, let's be honest. It's not just a Herbert thing. That's who Keenan is and who he was for Phillip Rivers, actually, for, um, you know, different games at a time. Uh, yeah, it would be really nice if he, you know, spread the ball a little around a little bit more. Um, You can see maybe he locks on uh, Keenan because he trusts him. He absolutely feels like Keenan's not only going to catch the ball, but probably create something afterwards. Um, You saw that in last week's game. There were a couple plays where, uh, you know, QJ came streaking open and Herbert just passed on him to make what appeared to be like some more difficult passes to like Keenan. But when a guy's going like that and, you know, he's got nearly – 20 receptions, then I think you just want to feed the hot hand. Uh, I do agree, agree that, you know, with that being said, that Herbert's probably someone who needs to grow his trust with his receiving core. Um, he, he did seem to have a better connection with Palmer when he became the number one guy, but it just honestly feels like whoever the number one guy is, is who he's going to put the most trust in. Um, and a lot of those plays are drawn up 
for that guy. If that guy is open, Herbert's probably going to get him the ball. But um, as the year goes on in this offense, I do see I do see that uh, or I foresee that um, he's going to grow a level of comfort with the rest of the wide receiving core. Some of those younger guys are going to contribute a bit more. And also, you probably don't want to overdo it with Keenan. I know we all love seeing him, you know, go for those records last week, but he is 30 plus and uh, uh, not a spring chicken at all. So probably do you well to get some mileage on some of those other guys and uh, keep Keenan for those key plays. And yeah, absolutely look for him on those got to have it downs, those third downs, because he is more of a third down chain mover. But, uh, you know, as the season goes along, you'll see him progress with the other guys. I'm pretty, pretty sure of it. So I actually see it a little differently. I, I'm sure there's an element of it that's trust. Um, just because he's been playing with Keenan for so long and he knows where he's going to be. And I think he just knows Keenan is going to get to where he needs to be and he's going to make the catch more often than not. But I also think the offense is designed to get the ball to Keenan at the second, particularly the second level between the corners and the safeties, or sorry, sorry, between the linebackers and the safeties. They're looking for those slants. They're looking for the digs, for the posts, for the seam shots. Um, And I think they're using QJ to clear things out keenan um i think they, they're probably assuming that teams are going to be looking for them to throw the ball deep to qj since that was such a big element that was missing from the offense last year they drafted him they have to assume that they want to get him the ball deep and so they're using qj to pull coverage away from keenan and they're spreading defenses out they especially did this last week they spread the they spread the vikings out as a as a way to combat the blitz mm-hmm. and they just ran keenan into open space and threw him the ball. And part of that was sending everybody else deep to give him room to run after the catch. So I think that's just the design of the offense. I think a lot of it is clearing out Keenan to make plays with the football after he makes the catch. Um, but I also think, you know, not a great plan for a first round wide receiver. If that's, if that's how they view him adding value to the offense early in the season, then that's not much of a plan. And the first two games, he played what 22 snaps week one, he played 10 snaps week two. Uh, that just screams no plan to me. They're not, they're just not, they're not factoring him into the game plan. So that that's my take on that. Yeah. Um, it's weird that you would look at a first round wide receiver um, as a luxury at this point. It feels like that's kind of how they saw him for the time being and that he would uh, grow into a larger role. And I kind of get it. I mean, I also understand using him to open up the field, but I mean, you know, a lot of those plays that were being run, and we say this every week, you know, those jet sweeps, um, some of those screen passes that didn't need to go to Mike Williams should absolutely have gone to a player that essentially specializes in run after the catch and um, plays very well in short areas. So um, we're going to get to see a bunch more of them now, I would suspect. So hopefully if there wasn't really a plan, they've spent this last week uh, concocting one. Yeah, you'd like to think that they're looking to get the ball the ball in the hands of their first round wide receiver, the guy who was arguably the biggest playmaker in college football last year, maybe the last two years. So you'd like to see more more of a plan in that regard. Um, I've seen people talking about you know missing the jump ball element with Mike out and them just sliding uh, QJ into that role. I hope that's not the plan. You know, you mentioned the jet sweeps, you mentioned the screens. There are ways to get QJ the ball to take advantage of what he brings to this offense that that it has so sorely lacked for the last couple of years. And just throwing him jump balls is not the way to go about it. So hopefully we're looking at, you know, 
some of those screens, jet screens, smoke screens, um, jet sweeps, things like that, to get the ball in his hands early and let him create with the with the ball in his hands. Also, you know, some of those slants that Mike was running, particularly against um, particularly against the Titans in Week Two, uh, some of those dig routes, post routes, things like that. Those are good opportunities to get the ball to QJ in space too. He he can do more than just run the deep ball. He's not really a jump ball receiver, not that physical, um, but I think he is capable of creating some separation. So hopefully they take advantage of that. Yeah. Next up. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, cool. Uh oh. Can't see the name. Oh. Is that you? Leogle, I think. I think it's just the way the PDF copied. Uh, okay. Sorry, sir. Can't see your name or ma'am. Uh do you think Murray's improved performance the last two weeks has any correlation to him wearing the green dot? Maybe Staley being in his ear a little more has helped him, or maybe it's just coincidence. What do you think, Jamie? I don't know that you can necessarily draw a straight line between him wearing the green dot and him playing better. Um, he's And he has been better. He's not a complete liability. He's made some plays. He made a couple of huge plays, obviously, the pick to end the game last week. He had another tackle on the goal line uh, that, that kind of set up that pick in the red zone. Um, the sack the week before, he has definitely flashed. Um, part of it could just be him getting comfortable in the system. Uh, part of it could be them simplifying things for him. It seems like they're just letting him come downhill more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think they're asking him to read as much <clears throat> and they're just kind of cutting him loose to be an athlete and a playmaker. And that's paying off. You can see him penetrating, getting downhill and being in a position to make more plays. Still not very good in coverage, but getting better against the run and as a, as a blitzer, which is uh, encouraging. So, you know, year four in the league, year three in the system, he should be getting better at this point. Um, so glad to see that he is. But I just think it's a function of, you know, healthy offseason, consistent reps, simplifying things for him, and maybe just not asking him to do quite as much. Yep, right there with the um, – he's always been – his greatest asset is he's a C-ball, hit-ball guy. Um, never been much of a read and react. And I also noticed that as well. It seems like things maybe have been pared down for him a bit. As far as him wearing the green dot is concerned, um, I think there's a little to take from that. Not necessarily the level of communication between him and Staley. Maybe he just feels a greater sense of responsibility and it's helping him in his focus. Um, just 
feeling like the defense was relying on him to relay those plays. And I think there's something to that feeling like you're more important in the defense and it possibly helps you step up in addition to uh, kind of simplifying his role. Um, yeah, you're seeing him scream downhill against the run. He knows what gaps he's supposed to attack. I mean, it's still not perfect at times. He will be overly aggressive and overrun plays. It happens, but he doesn't look like he's thinking. Um, it's literally the snap of the ball. He takes off. He almost seems to know where those gaps are, where they're going to develop. And in some instances, he'll allow it to open up before he actually commits to attack. So he's not really picking a lot of the wrong gaps to attack. And also when he's dropping into coverage in those hooked and curl zones, um, you can see him bailing right away at the snap. He looks like he understands where he's supposed to be. Um, you know, still wouldn't want him out there covering too, too often. I know that, you know, Staley still finds him to be one of the better coverage linebackers on the team. It's not necessarily a strong suit. Um, he does have the athleticism, but I am seeing the improvement in not being as hesitant, not following uh, window dressing behind the line of scrimmage, um, not necessarily biting on play action fakes, staying home and then, you know, getting proper depth. So I think that's all you can ask for at this point is for him to not be a complete liability, which is what I was absolutely afraid of once Kendrick um, Kendricks went down. Um, you know, I thought that was probably going to be the weakest link on the team, uh, essentially having someone who hasn't proven himself at a position that he's not thrived in. Um, he was kind of pigeonholed into that he wasn't necessarily made to play um, next to a backup linebacker. Um, didn't like the prospects of that, but uh, like I said before, you got to give him credit. He's actually playing very well, um, particularly these last two weeks. So hopefully he can keep it going. Um, next, we're going to go on to some Twitter questions. So our first Twitter question comes from Rob Keenan at GirlDad252. He says, what's your take on Staley's new go-to response whenever he's asked about an injury? The TBD response comes off as rather arrogant. What do you think, Craig? I don't think it's arrogance. Um, I think with everything that's going on, personally, I feel like he doesn't want to commit to anything because I think he knows that a lot of what he says is in question now. And he may even be curious about his level of credibility. I mean, Ideally, as a head coach, you don't necessarily care or you shouldn't care about what the media thinks and like all that talk that goes on. But it just feels like he wants to be as short and to the point and um, literally as vague as possible. So he's not, you know, I guess, over committing to anything. And if guys do or don't play, then, you know, he didn't tip his hand one way or the other. Um, I don't necessarily think it's gamesmanship either. I mean, it could be. But at this point, I think he just understands uh that right now he's kind of walking on a bit of a tightrope. So I wouldn't be surprised if you hear less and less from him going forward with regard to injuries or really anything else. And I only feel like he spoke out on the JC stuff because, you know, he absolutely knew he had to, and there had to be something that sounded somewhat viable, but with regards to injuries, um, I mean, even last year, we, we saw this pop up at times, uh, you know, you would get something that felt like it was a little bit more definite and then guys would be out longer or um, guys would be rushed back too soon. And uh, you saw the results of that. So I think he's just being a little bit more careful. I think he's feeling the heat, too. I think you mentioned it. He's, you know, kind of questioning his own credibility a little bit. He's getting, you know, kind of picked apart in press conferences at times. You know, you got guys like like Daniel Popper. can you know, repeatedly asking the same questions over and over and over about the Jacksonville game, things like that. 
he just seems to me that he's kind of wearing down his, mm-hmm. his nerves have kind of been worn down to a nub and he's just, I think he's just tired of answering questions and he thinks he's better off just not, not giving too much information. Like you said. So that's what it looks like to me. I don't think it's arrogant. I just think he's doubting himself and he's uncomfortable and he's just trying to be as brief as he can to get off the stage. Um, and also, I mean, if I think if you listen to a lot of NFL coaches, they may not give a TBD response, but most NFL coaches are not going to give you specifics on injuries. So you're not going to get a whole lot of detail on injuries unless somebody's close to coming back. But if they're freshly hurt and you don't know when they're coming back and you know, you don't want to answer too many questions, you give kind of a vague answer. And I think that's just part of, you know, maybe part of Staley evolving as at, in terms of giving these press conferences and realizing he doesn't have to give as much information and also him just being kind of worn down a little bit with what's going yeah. on. This feels all too familiar, right? Because I'm not saying this is a definite, but when, you know, charges coaches start getting um, critiqued this way openly and just literally nailed to the wall with every presser towards the end, they start saying less and less. And, uh, you know, before, you know, Staley was very welcoming when he was talking to beat writers, he would mention everyone or reply to everyone by name first and give them this very detailed explanation for whatever the question was. But he's starting to feel a lot like some of the uh, more recent Chargers coaches towards the end of their tenures. And uh, I mean, if it plays out that way, then you know, just kind of work the way that all the other ones did, or at least the last two, should I say. Yeah, and there's some similarities there. You know, McCoy, I believe, had a, a press conference after a practice at one point where he got annoyed with somebody asking him the same question over and over again, and he just walked out on the press conference. Mm-hmm. You had Anthony Lynn comparing, I think it was a Jets game, to Pearl Harbor. Yes. Um, and other saying other stupid things, being asked directly about decisions during the game and saying, I don't recall that, or I'm not sure what what play you're talking about, or I'm not sure what decision you're talking about. And just not not allowing himself to be nailed down because he knew he couldn't answer the question. And I think there's some of that going on with some of these things as well. Next question is from Austin McWalter. He says, "Hey guys, how how would you play Devonte Adams this weekend?" Mm. Right. Well, I guess it all depends on who's playing this weekend. Um, problem here is if you have, you know, Mike Davis should be available, then I would let him take his turn first. Um, if he can at least be serviceable against him, then you ride it that way and allow him to follow him around. Um, if not, I mean, he'll be available, but if Mike's not having the greatest time with them, the last person I want to see on them is ASJ because I do not need a repeat of last year. Um, I don't think uh, Asante matches up with him very well, just from a size perspective. Um, you know, Devontae had him in a spin cycle practically all game long. Um, and then there's the route of rolling coverage to his side every time, uh, you know, just keeping top over him and having a cornerback attached to his hip. Uh, I don't necessarily think playing him one-on-one at any given point is going to be the best idea. I'd be willing to give it a shot initially, but um, I wouldn't flirt with it for the duration of a game. Uh, but, First and foremost, you have to take him away and make somebody else beat you. So if that comes down to uh, bracket coverage or doubling, uh, again, rolling coverage, then you do what you got to do. But you make someone else beat you. Can't be Devontae. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, 
I think you got to give him different looks. You got to mix it up. Um, different looks with different people. Um, you start with Mike, maybe put um, Asante on him a little bit, uh, throw some bracket coverage at him, uh, maybe roll some linebackers underneath, you know, give him some bump and run, make him earn his way down the field, try to undercut him at times with some, with some short zone and just make Jimmy look another way or whoever happens to be playing quarterback on Sunday, look another way. You just can't give him a free run. Uh, you know, ASJ's really struggled with him, particularly last year. He just got put in a blender several times. So if you're going to put ASJ on him, he needs help over the top for sure. Um, I think pretty much anybody who's going to be covering him needs help over the top. Um, and then just make him earn it and make them look a different way. Make them throw to their tight ends. Make them throw to Jacoby, um, it's Jacoby Myers, right? Yeah. Jacoby, yeah. Um, sounds like a lawyer. I just had those <laughs> old uh, lawyer commercials stuck in my head. Um, but yeah, I, you you gotta you gotta mix it up. You gotta give Jimmy different looks. You gotta give Devonte different looks, um, and just make them throw a different way. You just can't let him go off for 10, 12 catches and one hundred and fifty yards and two scores. It's got to be somebody else. You the real um, I guess what they really need to lean on as opposed to just the coverage is much like last week, that front's got to win. Um, you know, if they can put pressure on Jimmy or whoever's going to be back there, as you mentioned, that's going to go a long way because uh, essentially they're going to be looking to push the ball to the uh, intermediate and deep portions of the field. They're going to want to take their shots, but uh, you know, can't have Jimmy back there with three and four seconds to allow those routes to develop against zones and can fit balls there. And, um, just going to have to keep the heat on them. Um, and the Chargers were able to do that last week. Hopefully, you know, you'll see some more stunts and twits, twists and games with uh, Thule and Joey and uh, Khalil mixed in there a little bit. I'd like to see Joey playing over the guard some. That'd be cool. Um, and just let him attack. Uh, essentially, uh, throw some blitzes in there here. Um, blo- throw some blitzes in there here and there. But um, I wouldn't want to live dangerously that way. Essentially, you should be able to get to Jimmy with your front four. I don't want to just assume that's going to happen. But um, Thule being who he is and adding some juice to that front has gone a long way. I don't see there being a reason why that needs to stop this week. So the front has to show up in a big, big way if they want to create some separation between themselves and the Raiders and um, potentially not have another close game. But that's probably not a reality. We know how the charges <laughs> get down. Yeah. Um, I would love to see another pressure package, another game plan with the pressure the way they had last week. I mean, they – the way that they were mixing up their stunts and twists and games up front was just a thing of beauty. And they sliced and diced that Minnesota offensive line. I think the Raiders offensive line is a little better uh, than the Vikings offensive line, which particularly struggled on the interior for the first three games of the season. Um, Their tackles are probably better, but I think you can attack their right tackle. Um, I know I'm going to butcher this name. I think it's Jermaine Illuminure. I'm I'm sure I totally butchered that, but um, they need to attack him. I think they need to attack the left guard and the right guard at times too, and just confuse them and create as much pressure up the middle as they possibly can as quickly as they can to make Jimmy or whoever's back there hold the ball and second guess themselves. Ideally, I think you want to be able to cover the Raiders with seven as often as possible. Yeah. Maybe, maybe go to six on occasion on some big downs, but you don't want to have to blitz more than more than you need to. 
Yeah, got to win with the front coverage behind it. Um, so this is another Kenneth Murray question. It seems like Kenneth, uh, this is from uh, Templeton Seclair at Scott with new hat. Um, it seems like Kenneth Murray has been taking a bunch of, or making a bunch of good plays the last two games. Is he actually turning into a serviceable player, serviceable player, or is it an illusion? I'm going to say, um, I think we're seeing some level of growth in Murray. Uh, is he serviceable? I think we'll find that out once teams start attacking him more in coverage, uh, which we'll probably see more of this week. Uh, and we'll probably see a lot more downhill running from the Raiders this week um, with Josh Jacobs. So it'll be interesting to see what they do or how how uh, Murray looks, you know, with a with an efficient running game, with a with a productive running game. Because last week, I mean, the Vikings ran the ball well, but they weren't really known for the running game. This week, they're going to have to focus on it. So um, I think he's getting better. Is he serviceable? We'll see once teams start picking on him in coverage. Oh, yeah. Uh, you hit the nail on the head there. It's really going to come down to when teams just decide that they're going to cram the ball down their throats. And um, if last week was any indication of what the run defense is going to bring to the table once again, then um, it's probably not going to go all that well. You've got more of an elite back on the Raiders side of things, and I'm sure that they want to run downhill. So <clears throat> I'm not necessarily certain at this point that um, he's proven himself to be much more sound against the run when he can't be kept clean. Um, he's not really good at shedding blocks at all. So when guards can get to the second level and stick to him, it's pretty much a wrap, um, even tight ends, to be honest with you. So for the time being, he's had a couple of good games when uh, where he hasn't necessarily been exposed. Um, and I think that when you start wearing on him in the run game, then uh, when you open it up to the pass, therein lies the problem because that's when those false steps start again and you can get behind him. Um, you can get him, you know, kind of flustered, not exactly getting proper depth. And then it kind of goes all downhill from there. So um, right now, I think you are seeing some improvement. Uh, it can't be denied at this point. Um, you know, he's definitely stepped up these last two weeks. Week one, not necessarily, but, you know, that was a different animal playing against the Dolphins in that passing attack and what he was asked to do. But um, as long as he can be kept clean, and, um, you know, he's not having to overthink, then, yeah, he's a serviceable linebacker. Uh, but, again, as we've both said now, uh, he's going to get a test this week because I can foresee the Raiders just deciding they're going to line it up and run it right at him as many times as they can, uh, which is another reason why you have to get them out of their game plan and hopefully score some points and get up on them early. So I think it's going to be key. All of that helps to protect Kenneth Murray. Agreed. Um, now it's time for the, one of our favorite segments of the show. We're going to move on to the bad tweets. Yay. So bad tweet. Number one. Can everybody see that? That's pretty small. Uh, I so, <laughs> all right. Bad tweet. Number one says as much as JC Jackson pisses me off, he's not a man cover corner. He's used primarily in zone, which he excels in. Uh, that's how the Patriots used him. Never like this. A good zone defensive system, and he will be a lot better than he has been. I promise you. Hmm. What do you uh, think, Greg? 
did this person actually watch J.C. Jackson with the Patriots? I'm curious because that is the polar opposite of what J.C. Jackson was. He's I mentioned this earlier. He's not his own corner. I mean, they are mixing it in here. He's playing more of it with the Chargers, but that's not what the Patriots like to do at all during his time. They like to line up and play man to man. That was their thing. And they had the guys on the outside to do it. And JC's claim to fame and being Mr. INT was because that he was a sticky corner. And if he got his hands on you can pretty much stay in anyone's pocket. So no, um, if they're misusing him now, it has to do with the injury and it's sapping a little bit of his athleticism. So right now, is he the best man cover corner? Probably not, but that's not been his claim to fame like ever. So not sure where you got this idea from. So sorry, bud. <laughs> I mean, like, like we said earlier, you know, there isn't really anything that JC is doing at a particularly high level right now. He was a little better week two than he was in week one. He was atrocious week one. And then he wasn't on the field last week. Um, but I mean, if you go back to tape last year and watch him playing in zone, he looked lost in the charger system. I mean, they were playing quarters, they were playing cover six and he was just letting guys run right by him. Um, he'd look like he had no idea what he was supposed to be doing. Just completely turned around and lost. So is he, is he an effective zone corner? Not from what we've seen from him as a charger. Unfortunately, he hasn't been particularly effective as a man corner either. So hopefully he gets healthy. He can work his way back and we can see a little bit more of Mr. INT, but right now, uh, he's just not very good at much of anything, unfortunately. Right now, he's Mr. WTF. Mr. Healthy Scratch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next tweet. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Can we see this one? A little bit better. Um... Honestly speaking, Kirk can make literally every throw Herbert can and has at least won a playoff game. To me, they're literally like this. For for tweets like this, Craig, we have we have a mantra here on the lightning round, and that is people are dumb. Uh <laughs> if if you watch Kirk Cousins throw the football and you watch Justin Herbert throw the football, and your conclusion is that Kirk can make every single throw. I don't know what you're watching because there is no way that cousins can make some of the throws that Herbert made last week. I mean, just take the one that's been all over, over social media this week. 
granted he had a clean pocket and he didn't have to need the, he didn't need to, to flee the pocket, but Herbert rolls left, pulls the linebacker left with him, stops on a dime, throws the ball back across the field between the hash marks and hits Keenan between the corner and the linebacker in the middle of the field on third and 17 for a first down against his, going against his body, throwing across his body. Cousins cannot make that throw. There were at least three or four other throws um, that Herbert made that there's no way Cousins can make. So I'm sorry. The, the, the arm talent is nowhere near the same. It's not comparable in the least. And you might want to find a different sport to watch if your conclusion is that these guys, that Cousins can make the, the same throws that Herbert can. It's just not, it's not remotely true. <sighs> In scenarios like this, I just ask the question. This is all I ask. Show me the evidence. I just need to see it. Like, otherwise, you're just coming on here and you're saying anything just for the hell of it. And sometimes it feels like trolling, but it feels like this person genuinely believes this. I'm going to assume that they're probably a Viking fan. Maybe. I don't know. The only thing that's similar between like Kurt and Herbert are that they're like kind of cookie cutter guys. Like, you know, nice guys, good guys, you know, not really much of an edge to them. Like that's where the comparisons end. Uh, I've not seen in my life, Kirk Cousins make a throw like the one Jamie just spoke to, or for instance, like the one, the laser to Donald Parham from like seven to 10 yards away, however along that distance was in a keyhole in between a safety and through a linebacker, never really seen Kirk try anything like that. I would like to see it because I'm sure it wouldn't fare all that well and probably make for an interesting uh, highlight as it being a pick going the other way. Um, and just some of these throws that Herbert makes down the field, there's nothing in comparison that Kirk Cousins has ever done. Most of Kirk Cousins' big throws that I've seen have been to wide open receivers. Um, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. You still have to be accurate enough to complete the passes. Um, so it is what it is. But from an athleticism standpoint, from an arm telling standpoint, and also everything that a quarterback is asked to do, uh, essentially it's all falling on Herbert's shoulders. Um, some people would argue that Kirk kind of has to be that guy for the Vikings too, but no, there are a couple guys that are difference makers on that team too. And just comparing the two is downright ridiculous to me. Um, to say that they're the same person, essentially, like, I mean, no disrespect. I don't think you can see anything, honestly. Uh, maybe someone else typed this up for you. Maybe, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really, it's just ridiculous. So it's it's silly talk, stupid. So let's move along. This is way <laughs> And last but not least, our last bad tweet, and we're going to have some fun with this one. I feel like it's not Telesco's fault on the Chargers. Even though he has some mistakes in the past, like not giving Herbert consistent O-line, a few draft misses, etc., he has set up the roster to win in general. He also has solid contracts and finds diamonds in the rough. I'm not really sure where to begin with this. Um, first of all, Telesco doesn't sign the contracts. That's uh, Ed McGuire. So one of your one of your points to credit Telesco, not accurate. 
McGuire is the capologist. McGuire is, the, McGuire is the guy that does the contracts. It doesn't even fall on Telesco's lap. So nice try. Um, diamonds in the rough. How many diamonds in the rough has he found? How many mid to late round picks have we seen Tom Telesco draft to actually step up and contribute on this team? I can think of two in 10 years. One is Keenan Allen, who would have been a first round pick had he not been hurt. Mm -hmm. And the other one is Josh Allen, who has one year of production under his belt. And to his credit, Allen has been very good. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, Palmer has been very good. Josh Palmer has been very good. He um, proved himself to be a really solid member of the, of the wide receiver rotation. He's become a very good route runner. He's become a reliable playmaker as a wide receiver three, maybe a low end wide receiver two if needed. And he's a guy who's come a long way since the beginning of last year. Name me other diamonds in the rough that he's found. You know, I'll throw, I'll throw this person a bone. I'll give you one more name. And it was only for a short period of time. Desmond King. That might be another one, potentially. Des was a high performer in college, but he lacked the athleticism. So that knocked him down a few notches. So it wasn't necessarily that like he took a big swing on a player. Like we saw King produce in college. He just didn't have the high end athleticism at the position that, you know, you would want from a corner. A lot of people thought maybe he should play safety. So maybe, you know, that. But also, as far as building the offensive lineup for Herbert, are we forgetting the quarterback prior to Justin Herbert that essentially had to run for his life and he can't run whatsoever? Like, you know, having a quarterback that's mobile now maybe gives you the opportunity to not necessarily have to focus so heavily on the offensive line. I mean, it would still be very irresponsible, but you could kind of like make way with some more average play in there. But you literally had a statue for several years that you would not commit hiring draft capital to get a protection for so no and then also i mean again let's call it what it is was it two playoff appearances in 10 years two so yep. what are we no, really three. talking about Sorry, here? three they're two and three in the playoffs in 10 years ah there you go so oh no you're talking about wins and losses three appearances two wins two wins okay gotcha I just don't quite understand how that can be bypassed just because you pick a couple of good guys, some that fall into your lap and others that, again, if you're talking Keenan Allen, that wasn't necessarily a diamond in the rough. He did fall due to injury. When when Telesco hits, he hits. It's just not something that happens very often, particularly to the mid. I mean, we know about these third round picks. How many years have we gone saying like, why? And you know, select guys who have absolutely no business being picked there because they think or he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and doesn't have the coaching staff to develop these guys properly. So they end up falling off the face of the earth. And once they leave the Chargers, they can't stick anywhere else. And then you never hear from them ever again. You remember KJ Hill? Remember how everybody just thought that was going to work out? It's going to be perfect. Tom the was next actually Allen, right? Yeah. Tom was pumping him up during training camp and he gets cut. And where is he now? There are multiple names like that. Remember Craig Mager? We can keep going. So we're talking about the hits and the misses. Uh, I don't think you want to go down that list. It gets really scary really quickly, and then you probably end up deleting this tweet and getting off of Twitter altogether. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've i seen people make excuses for Telesco for years. Um, 
I, you know, I will give him credit. He's worked well with Staley, uh, but it took him eight years, eight to commit to building the offensive line. Eight. They were using mostly third, fourth, fifth round picks to try to build out the offensive line, some UDFAs. Uh, it, it took them really long, a really long time to start investing first and second round picks in the offensive line on a consistent basis. Now they're starting to have some success. Um, and he, he, I think a lot of his draft failures, to be fair, probably had a lot to do with coaches who maybe had an idea of what they wanted, but couldn't really communicate what they wanted or how to go about getting it and clearly couldn't develop it. Um, but we're talking, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six winning seasons in 10 years. And most of those winning seasons are nine and seven seasons. So he has not had a lot of success. And if you're not going to evaluate him based on the draft picks and you're not going to evaluate him based on the contracts and you're not going to evaluate him based on wins and losses and you're not going to evaluate him based on the playoffs. And what is he doing? You mean all the tangible things? Yeah. All the things that you can actually touch and feel and account for and quantify. If he, you, keeps, it, he keeps a cool surfboard in his house. Apparently he must be really good at getting coffee. For John Spanos, I, I mean, at some point you have to start seeing some results in January and February. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I'm I'm kind of done making excuses. I think if things don't work out with Staley, uh, he needs to be gone because there's no way in hell he should be given a chance to hire a fourth head coach, um, and they need to clean house. But unfortunately, no, John Spanos wants to work with somebody who's fun to play with on the playground. He likes to build the sandcastles and swing on the swing set and slide on the slides. And, and I guess John makes him feel comfy, cozy, or I mean, uh, Tom makes him feel comfy, cozy. So uh, we'll see if they actually make any moves, but Telesco is a guy who's been around for a long time and hasn't really accomplished much of anything. And that's a problem. I don't call him Teflon time for nothing. <laughs> So that brings us to the end of the show and the last segment, we're going to make predictions. I don't think we've done this the last couple shows, uh, but we're going to do it here. So Craig, why don't you fire off your prediction for this big rivalry game between the Chargers and the Raiders? Mm, so before like Monday, I think I felt a lot better about this game than what I do now as the days have gone by and the weeks progressed and more news has come out, become just just more and more apprehensive about the outcome of this game. And for all intents and purposes, the Chargers still should have enough to win, but it just feels like it's going to end up being another game that comes down to Herbert having to put the cape on because the defense has already been a problem and now you're going to have multiple guys missing. And so um, hopefully that means the defense overall gets pared down and maybe that helps things along, but I don't know. With that being said, um, I'm going to say the Chargers win 28 to 20. I don't feel really, really confident in that score. I have a strange feeling it'll end up being a tighter game than that. But, you know, again, for all intents and purposes, this should be a game that the Chargers should win regardless of what's going on uh, defensively. Um, even with Mike Williams being out, they still should have enough offensive firepower. If Austin Eckler is, in fact, playing again this week, I feel better about the run game. Uh, the Raiders have not... Well, almost uh, a bottom 10 
they're around there against the run defense and they're kind of middle of the road against the pass also. So I expect there to be a bit more balance from the Chargers side of things, but I can't help but feeling like honestly, really and truly it's going to boil down to Herbert having to sling it around to win it again. So 28, 20 is my guess for the time being. I, I have the Chargers winning this game too. Um, I think the Raiders are not very good. And I think the Chargers are running into a scenario where they actually might have a coach that Staley can outcoach. Um, I've never been a fan of Josh McDaniels. I think he is causing some problems with some personnel and is just a mess uh, strategically, maybe good schematically, but just not a very good coach overall and has a hard time managing people. So I'm going to say the Chargers win this game. I think Herbert goes off. I think we maybe see a 400-plus yard, three-touchdown type performance from Herbert, um, and the Chargers will probably run the ball well. I'm going to say Chargers win it 31-27. So, yeah, a little bit closer. Yep. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Again, when we're talking about guys who – somehow end up with coaching gigs that truly genuinely don't deserve it and this is his second stint i don't get what mcdaniels is doing but man um give me some of that man uh, i don't know if you know where the bones are buried or what but uh it just seems like it's a dumpster fire anywhere he takes over and um you know we saw this with the broncos now it's the raiders turn and you can see all the news coming out with some of the players one in particular who i'm not going to name because that guy is dealing with some stuff right now hopefully he gets whatever help he needs but um, just uh, I don't trust McDaniels to be able to pull it out. And again, this is the charge that we're talking about. They love trap games. Just don't let it be this one. <laughs> I'm going to throw this up here. We'll, we'll talk about this before we go real quick. Um, we were talking about diamonds in the rough. And Hannah Deary lists Salier, King, Jasir Taylor, Jasir Taylor, uh, Kaiser, and Drew, assuming he's talking about Drew Tranquil, but overall, Tom Telesco is a failure. Three playoff appearances is pathetic in a decade. So <clears throat> we already mentioned King. Uh, Drew, all right, he was a mid-round pick. I think he was a fourth-round pick. I'll give you that one. Taylor is a sixth-round pick as a guy who we still don't know who or what he is. Nope. Probably limited to being a slot corner, maybe playing some safety. I don't think you want him outside. So listing him as a diamond in the rough right now, I think is a little bit premature just because we haven't really seen it yet. Um, And Salyer, he was solid last year, although he struggled towards the end of the year in pass protection. Uh, He's been pretty good so far this year. Uh, Has had a couple bad breakdowns in pass protection towards the end of games. So jury kind of still out on Salyer too. I think we're all excited about him. I like him playing right guard a lot better than I do at, at left tackle. Uh, but we still don't know what we have. So a little bit premature with a couple of those guys, but, you know, Kaiser is a guy they couldn't figure out how to use. He didn't really become a good football player until he left. Uh, and I'll give you Tranquil. Tranquil was a solid football player. He was productive and and pretty versatile in terms of special teams and defense. What do you think, Craig? But you see, that just actually speaks more to our point here because look at some of the names you have to grab. They aren't absolutes. There's some guys that are iffy or guys who haven't actually really proven themselves or there's not enough body of work to say that that absolutely worked out. So 
you almost kind of, I'm not going to necessarily say you have to reach a little, but there's some questionable names in there. So they aren't just guys who absolutely showed out and, you know, it's names that, you know, he can put on his resume, put stamps next to that these guys ended up turning into certified ballers. I mean, uh, a couple of those names, yeah, like Tranquil, we liked him for what he was, uh, you know, he was not a perfect project or product. Um, and we saw that he, you know, he had his deficiencies, great special teams guy who ended up getting on the field and being, uh, you know, a relatively good linebacker, um, but not enough to the point to where, uh, they thought highly enough to really, really put the money down to bring him back. They didn't value him that much. So that should tell you what you need to know. I mean, of course we had the conversations and news that was passed down from Garrett's guy about, you know, the fact that they wanted him back, but at a certain price, but they didn't overvalue him. So again, that tells you what they thought about him as a player overall. So yeah, um, just got to watch those names because some of them get a little tricky. And um, when you start looking again, like the entire body of work, there either just isn't enough yet. Or if you go kind of look at statistics and things like missed tackles and just really, really review the tape in some instances, they weren't as great as maybe you think they were. All right, guys. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate it. Just a reminder, uh, Friday, Craig's got I Got Five on it. Um, and Sunday, we'll be on at some point in the afternoon with After Hours. Hope you guys are enjoying the daily content lately. I know we're having fun putting it out. And uh, it's been a lot of fun kind of expanding our, our reach and, and seeing people enjoying all this extra content. So thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the Thursday night game. And we will see you all on Sunday for After Hours. Thank you. Salute.